you bow your heads with me this morning as we can open in prayer here? Dear Heavenly Father, these are your people. Your people are here. They are gathered together. Please bring your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and be receptive to the message that you have prepared. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, I hope you brought your steel-toed shoes today. Because when I was writing this message, I had my toes stepped on a couple of times. But in his little book called Illustrations of Bible Truth, H.A. Ironside pointed out the folly of judging others. He related an incident in the life of a man called Bishop Potter. He was sailing for Europe on one of the great transatlantic ocean liners. When he went on board, he found that he was going to be sharing a cabin with another passenger. After going to see their room, he came up to the purser's desk and inquired if he could leave his gold watch and other valuables in the ship's safe. He explained, you know, ordinarily I don't do this, but, uh, you know, I, I saw the guy that I'm sharing my cabin with, yeah, kind of leery. Judging from his appearance, the bishop was afraid that he might not be a very trustworthy person. The purser accepted the responsibility for the wallet and the watch, and he remarked, It's quite all right, Bishop. I'll be very glad to take care of them for you. In fact, your roommate just came up here and did the same thing. <laughs> Oftentimes, we seem to jump to conclusions too quickly about people, don't we? We see the way they dress, the way they carry themselves, the look on their face, and we make assumptions about them. Essentially, we're judging them. Unfortunately, that's how our world operates. We are judged on a daily basis by everybody around us. We're judged by the clothes we wear, the vehicle we drive, the job we have, the house we live in. For the most part, though, these things don't tell the whole picture, do they? You're not the clothes you wear, are you? You're not the car you drive. You're not the house you live in. No. But this problem is obviously not just an issue that the world has to deal with. It's an also a problem that can plague God's people as well. This morning I want to take a look at how we sometimes look at other people and then look to Christ to see how we are able to change our perception to the people around us. We're going to open our Bibles this morning. We're going to start in the book of 1 Samuel. And I'm sure we've read this a number of times, but we're going to read it again. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And what's going on here is Samuel has been called to pick the successor for Saul for the kingdom of Israel. Excuse me, I have a throat thing this morning. So So he's going to the tribe of Jesse, or he's going to to see Jesse and uh, see his sons because one of his sons is going to become the next king of Israel. We start out in verse verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named you. If we skip over to verse 6, they've 
essentially have all the sons there. And Samuel's going down the line, and he's having conversation with God to see who's going to be the next one. It says in verse 6, So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. God said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And God said, Not him either. And then Shammah came past. God said, Nope, not him. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Not one of your sons has he picked. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all your sons? Do you have any more? Jesse told him, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with bright eyes, and good-looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. (coughs) Excuse me, sorry. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. Even Samuel, a prophet of God, you see, he was, he was pretty in there with God, wouldn't you? And he was a pretty righteous man. Even he was misguided in his perceptions of who God was going to appoint as the next leader of Israel. He was looking at what the world looked at. He saw strength, beauty, perceived intelligence, He was making his judgments based on the world system. But God sees the whole person. Amen? He can see everything that you are, not just what you look like. He knows not only those things that the world sees, but he sees those things which the world cannot. And John Wesley found this out the hard way. He tells a story of a man that he had little respect for because he considered him to be very miserly and covetous. But one day, when this person contributed only a tiny amount to a worthy charity, Wesley openly criticized him. After the incident, the man went up to Wesley privately and told him that he had been living on parsnips and water for several weeks. And he explained that before his conversion, he had run up many bills. And now, by skimping on everything and buying nothing for himself, he was paying back his debts. Christ had made me an honest man, he said. And so with all these debts to pay, I can only afford a few offerings above my tithe. I must settle up with my worldly neighbors and show them what the grace of God can do in the heart of a man who was once dishonest. Wesley then apologized to the man and asked his forgiveness. Now how often is this the case with us? We meet somebody and we judge them based on the first meeting, never knowing if there are other circumstances or events going on that may be making them seem different than the person they really are. If we're able to meet all people as Christ did, how many more wonderful relationships might we be able to enjoy? Now, I'm a realist, okay? I know not everybody likes me, and I know there's people that I don't click with. It happens. We're people. We're different, okay? Just because you don't like someone, though, doesn't mean you can't love and respect them, right? It's a strange concept, but it works. 
once we make that realization that everyone has different experiences and gifts to bring to the table, we can still be civil and respectful to one another. And I think oftentimes, though, we dwell on too many of those little, little pebbles and are oblivious to the big picture. And Christ realized this in his day as well. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 7. start right there in verse 1. Matthew 7 verse 1 says, Judge not that you, didn't, that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? And how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, you have a plank in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. How often, when we're dealing with people, do we concentrate on those specks in someone else's life, not realizing that we may have a plank in our own? How often do we not get all the facts before we jump to conclusions? I believe it was F.B. Meyer who once said that when you see a brother or sister in sin, there are two things you don't know. First, you don't know how hard he or she tried not to sin. And second, we don't know the power of the forces that assailed him or her. We also do not know what we would have done in the same circumstance. So what does that mean? Do we let sin go unattended? It's not what I'm saying. But when we see someone in sin, a brother or sister that needs our guidance and needs our help, we should lovingly, lovingly go to that person, take them aside, and counsel them. That's not being judgmental. That is being an ambassador for Christ and a respecter of people and someone who actually cares about them. It's when we go to someone other than that person to discuss what they have done that we start entering into territory that we don't need to go into. And it all comes down to who, who and what we respect. Do we want to show the world how good and moral we think we are? Or do we want to have a Christ-like character and actually do the things the way he would do them? That's the real crux of the situation. And Doug already summed up my sermon this morning when he was talking to the kids. Loving people. Loving people. Whom do we serve? Do we care more about what the world thinks when we judge people the way the world does? Or are we truly trying to follow our Savior and show people the love and compassion that he has for them no matter what? He died for everybody. It's not exclusive. It's not an exclusive club. Everybody has a right to that gift. He died for all mankind. Amen? And he paid the ultimate price. Then all people are deserving of our respect and love. Like I said before, we may not like everybody, but we can love them came across a quote by C.S. Lewis, and he often has a way of putting things that might be a little bit different, but oftentimes make a lot of sense. And C.S. Lewis once struggled with this, and he put it quite eloquently here. He said, for a long time, I used to think, that, to think this a silly, straw-splitting decision. How could you hate what a man did, but not hate the man? 
But years later, it occurred to me that there was one man to whom I was doing this my whole life. Me. In fact, the very reason why I hated the things was that I loved the man. Just because I loved myself, I was sorry to find that I was the sort of man who did those things. Consequently, Christianity does not want us to reduce by one atom the hatred we feel for cruelty and treachery. But it does want us to hate them in the same way in which we hate things in ourselves. Being sorry that the man should have done such things and hoping, if it is any way possible, that somehow, some way, somewhere, he can be cured and made human again. Brothers and sisters, we need to see Christ the way people see them. We need to see people the way Christ sees them. We need to see that they are worth so much to him that he gave up everything for everyone. Only then can we set aside these petty little things and hope to move forward of the goal of bringing as many of his children home to live with him in eternity. So that's the goal, right? For everyone to know Christ and be able to spend eternity with him. I mean, if you look at the world today, how many people want to stay here for eternity? Think about the reward that he has for his people that are willing to do what he asks. It's incredible. We can't even imagine it. And I struggle with this myself. I mean, it's easy to get caught up, especially when we have worldly jobs and you're working with people that aren't Christian. It's easy to get caught up in the world and its views. It's easy when somebody makes a comment about something and you know, especially with my personality, I'm a pretty funny guy. You know, I like to joke around. I like to have fun. You know, when you're, you're a funny guy, you want to make that funny comment and get people to laugh because that's just the way you are. You know, when you get into a, a situation that's stressful, that's what I do. I make jokes. It irritates my wife to no end. <laughs> but that's me. I mean, that's, that's what I do. So it's easy for me to get sucked into those types of things if I'm not paying attention to God. But one little thing that I've started doing, and, and thank God that he continues to do this, is I, I know it's the Holy Spirit. Whenever I get, start getting those, when I'm thinking about God and I'm focused on him and I start getting that thought in my head because somebody else is making a joke, the thought that pops to my head is, what if that was God? What's it say in Genesis? Let us create man in our image. So we are the image of God. So what if that was God standing there in front of you? Kind of puts it in a different perspective, doesn't it? But we also have to commit to praying for each other and for this church that we can understand Christ and his mission so well that nothing else matters. And I love this church. I love the people of this church. We may not always like each other. That happens. But we can still love and respect each other to get the mission done. We also have to commit to that when a situation does arise that needs to be dealt with, that it is dealt with in a loving and Christ-like manner. We turn back to Matthew again to chapter 7. Drop down to verse 12. It says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, 
do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. If we desire this for ourselves, if we read this verse and we want to claim this for ourselves and we want other people to treat us this way, we have to be willing to treat them that way. And why do any of God's children deserve anything less? If we're all children of God, why would they deserve anything less? And I want us to commit to this today. And as we close in prayer, I'm going to ask that while we have our eyes closed and our heads bowed, that uh, you'll raise your hands with me to God, that while we ask him to heal our church, to heal our relationships, whatever they may be, and he can do this only so far as we are willing. Are we willing to let him heal? Are we willing to let him set aside petty things that have been driving us apart and allow God to lead us into great things? Would you bow your heads with me for this moment? Heavenly Father, as you look, up out, look out upon the crowd and you see the hands raised, you see your people that are committing to your guidance, to setting aside little differences and truly trying to see through the eyes of Christ and becoming Christ-like in our attitudes and the way we talk to each other and understanding that everybody's different. And while we may not like people, some, some people, that we can still be lovers and respecters of them, that they have something to offer, to bring to the table, because they have different experiences than what we have. But Heavenly Father, we just pray that your Holy Spirit be with this church as it moves forward. Be with us in our everyday relationships. Help us while we're struggling with whatever it may be, the temptations that are out there. And help us to be supportive to one another when we're struggling. I just ask, Lord, for your, for your blessing. And like I said again, your Holy Spirit just to fall upon us and to make us better men and women and children that want to follow you no matter what the cost. We ask this all in your precious name. Amen. Heavenly Father, that is our prayer today. We want to be more like Jesus in our heart. Please have your spirit be with us as we go out of here today, as we go about our week. Help us to be faithful stewards of your word as well as everything else you've given us responsibility over. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.